Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Just before we start, let me mention my podcast sponsor. That's italki. They are the perfect service if you're interested in improving your spoken fluency in English. With italki, you can find qualified native speakers of English and arrange conversations or lessons whenever you want via Skype. They have thousands of teachers to choose from. And you can arrange classes around your schedule. The cool thing is that italki are offering all of you, my listeners, a free lesson when you buy some talking time. To get started, visit teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. So, hello, listeners. How are you doing? Uh, are you having a nice August? How's your summer going? I hope you're having a nice time. I'm still on holiday, of course, having a lovely time. Um, obviously I'm not on holiday while recording this. I'm recording this before I've gone, but as you're listening to this, I will be on holiday. Um, I can't talk about it anymore because, um, I'll get trapped inside a time loop because I'm in the past talking about something in the future that you're listening to in the present. So I can't go on about it anymore because it'll just get far too complicated. Uh, it'll be like the plot of uh, Back to the Future 2, just far too complicated to even talk about anymore. So um, what you're listening, what you're going to listen to is actually an episode which I recorded ages ago in February of this year. So uh, this one was recorded way back in the winter and... Um, um, I can't remember why I didn't publish it. I think perhaps the reason I didn't publish it was because I, for some reason, had too many episodes at some period, and I ended up um, not publishing this one. Uh, so I'm going to publish it now while I'm away on holiday, and you can listen to it, uh, you know, in your free time. And there is a YouTube video for this one as well, which you will find on the page for this episode on my website. Um, so without any further ado, here is this episode that was recorded back in February at the beginning of the year uh, for you to listen to now in August or in fact at any time uh, that you choose. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? I hope you're doing all right today, uh, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Um, this episode of the podcast is currently being videoed. I am at this very moment looking at a video camera while speaking into the microphone, of course. And uh, you should be able to find the video for this episode on the page on my website for this episode or simply on my YouTube channel. So I'm going to upload it onto YouTube and also post the video on the page for this episode on my website. So those of you who like to kind of, you know, get the visuals as well as the audio, 
uh, you can check it out as well. All right. And, uh, you know, don't forget to subscribe to my videos on YouTube because I plan to do more of this kind of thing in the future. All right. But um, if you're not uh, watching the video, if you're just uh, listening to the audio as usual, then, you know, welcome back. Uh, and in fact, welcome back. Welcome. Welcome to everyone. Everyone's welcome, whether you're on the video or you're not on the video. Um, most of my listeners uh, will be probably doing something else while listening to this. I have a lot of multitaskers uh, listening to this podcast. You're probably out, out and about, on a train, on a bus, uh, or simply listening while you're doing something else, like listening while you're doing the housework, or listening while you are sitting there playing a computer game or something. Um, that's the cool thing about the audio podcast, you know? That's the cool thing about that, is that um, uh, with the audio podcast, you can just do anything else while you're listening. It's brilliant. You can multitask. You can get more English into your daily life by listening to the audio podcast. Uh, you can, you know, listen to it when you're traveling or whatever. If you if you like the video stuff, obviously, you, you have to sit there and focus on the video. But I guess the advantage of having the video is that you get to see me, uh, sort of my body language, you know, sometimes I'm moving my hands. And that might help. I don't know maybe that will help but anyway you get to see me being a little bit more animated and also of course you'll get to see my mouth moving and you'll actually see the positions of my mouth when uh, the words and sentences are being produced and of course you'll see the varied expressions that uh, come onto my face while I'm recording episodes of the podcast for example surprise and suspicion and uh, other expressions I don't know if there will be much surprise or suspicion in this episode, but who knows? Anyway, um, let's get down to business. So uh, in this episode, I'm going to talk about accents. So another episode about accents. I, you know, I like to do episodes on this subject from time to time. Here's another one. And in this one, I'm going to answer a question from a listener about accents. Okay, so you know that there's a wide variety of accents in the UK, not to mention the accents that you will find in other English-speaking countries like Ireland, Canada, the USA, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and, and more. So obviously there are accents that we associate with these different countries, but also within each country there are many different accents too, uh, particularly in the UK. Um, English is a hugely diverse language, and in my experience, foreign learners of English don't don't usually know a lot about the different accents, particularly all the regional varieties in the UK. And they often just find it difficult to understand those different varieties. And as a result, learners of English can't enjoy the great variety of sounds in English, the, the sheer diversity of character and personality that you get from the different varieties of English. And therefore, it's worth taking the time to talk about it on this podcast. Um, and, you know, my general experience or my general opinion on this subject is that if you as a learner of English, if you're familiar with, uh, you know, lots of accents, if you're able to understand lots of different versions of English, then your, your English will be that much stronger as a result. Um, so this is such the subject of accents is so big that to do it justice would require me to like write a whole book about it. And many people have. For example, David Crystal and Ben Crystal wrote a book called You Say Potato, 
which is a really great book. I've been listening to the audio book version of it, and I listen to it again and again because it's full of useful information and, and, and stuff. You Say Potato by David Crystal and Ben Crystal is an example of a you know a big thick book that uh, covers the whole subject of accents. So it's a big subject worthy of a whole book's worth of, of commentary. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I'm not writing a whole book about it. Instead, I just do episodes about accents fairly regularly on this podcast in an effort to cover as much of the topic as possible. For example, I recently did some episodes about British accents that you hear in the Lord of the Rings films. I did two two episodes about British accents in in the Lord of the Rings, um, which gave me a chance to talk about the different associations that we have with different accents in the UK and how those associations were used to provide some colour and character to the movie versions of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings stories. I also did episodes recently about uh, accents that you might hear in Glasgow. And also I spoke to Korean Billy about regional about his uh, videos on regional accents and, and dialects as well okay so um, since uploading those episodes I have noticed a few comments from listeners wondering why there are so many accents in the UK so I've had a few comments from people going this is interesting how come there are so many different accents considering the UK is quite a small country we do have a of a lot of diversity. So why? Why is that? Uh, and so in order to try and answer that question, I've prepared this episode, which I hope will help you understand the whole thing a little bit more. So the plan in this episode, or possibly episodes, depending on how long this takes, the plan is to talk about these things. Okay, so I'm going to talk about why there are so many accents in the UK, um, how our accents develop as part of a natural psychological process, um, what this means for learners of English and for teachers of English as well. And also, we'll listen to someone speaking in a Liverpool accent and I'll help you to understand it. All right. So we'll, we'll listen to a sample of some speech in a Liverpool accent, which is going to sort of illustrate some of the things I'm saying. And I'll help you to understand that too. So um, talking about accents, but also listening to accents too, in this case, a Liverpool uh, accent. So this episode is about the way that people speak, but it's also about history, psychology, how to learn English, uh, what my friends sound like, and how to understand a football player from Liverpool. So how are all of these things connected? Well, listen on and you'll find out. So let's start first of all with the question of why do we have so many accents in the UK? And this is related to something called communication accommodation theory. Okay, now, um, one of the things that I said in those episodes about Lord of the Rings was that there is a, a, a very wide diversity, uh, a wide variety of accents in the UK, all right? And that your accent reveals lots of things about you, such as where in the country you're from and what social background you come from. So, for example, when I meet someone from the UK and they speak to me, immediately I, identi- I I don't even do it consciously. Often it's just subconsciously. You pick up on the accent and that starts to inform um, the way you understand that person. Okay, We do sort of judge each other even subconsciously based on the way that we speak. Okay, We shouldn't really make assumptions about people based on the way they speak, but we do. And, and the way that people speak often is an, an indicator 
of things like their social background and also, you know, obviously which part of the country they come from. But it's, it's not just geography. It's also about sort of social background. An accent can reveal quite a lot about that. Um, so remember, when I say accent, this simply means the way that you pronounce the words that you're using. And if you remember from, from uh, a recent episode, one of the things I mentioned was this quote from George Bernard Shaw, a writer, uh, and the quote said, it's impossible for an Englishman to open his mouth without making some other Englishman hate or despise him. That's a quote that I read out before, which, you know, is basically a, a way of illustrating that uh, uh, English people judge each other based on the way they speak. And for example, if, if someone speaks in a very posh, upper-class voice, some people might go, oh, bloody posh, posh idiot, or something. Or um, if someone speaks uh, with a very strong local accent other people might immediately assume that they're working class or that they're uneducated or something like that so we do make these assumptions uh, about each other unfortunately um, now that quote from bernard shaw it's impossible for an englishman to open his mouth without making some other englishman hate or despise him that quote does give the impression that we all hate each other doesn't it it sounds like we all you know one person speaks and everyone's just despising them sounds like we all hate each other. Uh, I, I don't really agree that that's the case. The point which is being made by that quote is that we just have prejudices about each other's accents and that this is an expression probably of the class system in the UK, the class system which arguably still exists in the UK, all right? Uh, um, for example, that middle class people probably look down on people with strong regional accents and maybe even resent people who speak with very posh accents and so on, that there's a certain level of judgment that goes on. All right, that's what that suggests. Now, here's a comment from the website not long ago from a listener called Nick, who is a, a regular commenter in the comment section. Hello, Nick. And um, so this is what Nick wrote. And, he, and Nick wrote in response to one of the episodes about accents. He said, what a complicated life there in the UK. Everyone resents each other because of their accents. Now, we don't really resent each other, but we do judge each other a bit. Uh, but, you know, we also love each other's accents as well. Uh, and Nick goes on to say, wow, I never thought that accents in the UK had such an important role in people's lives. Um and yes, it's true, Nick. Yes, the the accents uh, are fairly important indicators of our identity, but they're also a source of great fun and joy and amusement and celebration. Um, and Nick says, Luke, thanks for this episode. You opened up the UK in a new way for me. Even though I knew about different accents in the UK and from your podcast as well, I somehow didn't realise the deep meaning of accents in English life. Um, and Nick continues and he says, but I don't really understand how it happened that you have so many accents in quite a small area. I can understand that different levels of society may have different words in their vocabulary, but why they should have such different accents, especially when they live in one city or region. Maybe it was people's desire to make something with the language or at least with pronunciation in order to somehow be unique from others like, for example, different groups of people or subcultures dress in certain clothes or, or different nations have their own folk costumes to mark them out as being different. Maybe it's that. Um, and again, Nick continues. He says, this is a 
No, that's not. No, that's the end of Nick's co- uh, comment. So he's basically saying, how come there's such diversity? Maybe it's like the way in which social groups dress differently as a way of expressing their, their group identity. Maybe it's that. Well, um, Nick, I think this is a really good question. And there are so many interesting aspects to the answer. And I'm now going to try and deal with that question. Um, okay, so why do we have so many accents in the UK? And if you don't believe me, just check out some of the videos on YouTube of like, you know, you know, 30 British accents or, you know, some of the different videos that you can see where one person goes through all the different accents. Like, for example, I mean, I can do a quick version of it now. Like, for example, here's my, let's say, um, um, let's say I'm going to say, would you like a cup of tea? Sit down. Would you like a cup of tea? How are you? Sit down. Would you like a cup of tea? All right. So in my voice, sit down. How are you? Would you like a cup of tea? Right. In a sort of cockney voice, sit down. How are you? Do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a cup of tea, mate? All right. How's it going? Okay. That's a sort of cockney London thing. Uh, maybe Southwest. All right. All right, my loves. You want a, do you want a nice cup of tea? Sit down. That was a bit crap, wasn't it? Sit down. Would you like some tea? All right, my love. All right. Uh, in Birmingham. All right. Hmm. All right, all right, mate. How's it going? How are you? Do you want a cup of tea? <laughs> um, Liverpool. All right, do you want some tea? Do you want a cup of tea? Come round to my house. Um, I'll make you some tea. We'll sit down. We'll play some PlayStation. For example, Manchester. All right, mate. How's it going? Do you want some tea? Do you want a cup of tea, mate? All right. Uh, Newcastle. All right, do you want a cup of tea, man? Do you want a cup of tea? Um, I mean, these might all sound the same to you because, as I said, you're not familiar with them. But um, anyway, anyway, that's just a little sample um, of different accents. All right. So uh, how come we have so many accents? Now, this could be explained by something called a communication accommodation theory or cat for short. This could be explained by a cat. OK, I could just get a cat to come. Hey, cat, come on, come on. Come on, Whiskers. I don't actually have a cat here who's going to explain it. That would be good, to be honest. That would be really good if if a cat, like literally a cat, came in and just explained it all to you. That would be amazing, right? That would be the best podcast or best YouTube video ever. Unfortunately, I don't have a cat to explain the accent phenomenon. But I do have a theory, which is called communication accommodation theory, or cat for short. Um, Now, Accommodation, let's just take out the word accommodation because you are, you probably already know the word accommodation because you're thinking like hotels, apartments, places to stay. Like when you go on holiday, you need to book your accommodation. That's one meaning of the word accommodation. There is another meaning of it too. Uh, if we look at the Collins Dictionary online, uh, you'll see that they define This is the third definition of accommodation on on the Collins Dictionary website. They say that accommodation is a kind of agreement between different people which enables them to exist together without trouble. Okay, so an agreement, that's not a, a written agreement like a contract, but it's just a sort of social or psychological tendency for people to come closer to each other and form communities based on shared behavior. That's accommodation, that sense that people are kind of acting or behaving or communicating in similar ways as an expression of their their community. All right, accommodation. People accommodate to each other meaning of people sort of come closer to each other and form communities. Uh, if we look at the Wikipedia page for communication accommodation theory, it says that communication accommodation theory is a theory of communication developed by Howard Giles. Howard Giles is a, 
professor of linguistics, I think. Let me just check. Just make sure that I'm saying the right things about um, Howard Giles. Howard Giles is a, a British-born professor of communication at the Department of Communication at the University of California in Santa Barbara in, a, in the United States of America. A British professor who works in America. He uh, came up with the idea of communication accommodation theory. And this theory argues that when people interact, they adjust their speech, their vocal patterns, and their gestures to accommodate to others. Um, And this theory explores the various reasons why individuals emphasize or minimize the social differences between themselves and the people they're talking to through verbal and nonverbal communication. And this theory is concerned with the links between language, context and identity. It focuses on both the intergroup and interpersonal factors that lead to accommodation, as well as the ways that power, uh, macro and micro context concerns affect communication behaviours. And we talk about, in a communication accommodation theory, we're talking about two processes. Convergence which is when people come closer together, and divergence, which is where people sort of um, um, sort of uh, emphasise the difference between them and other people. <sighs> all right, it's all getting a bit academic, isn't it? What the hell are we talking about here? Okay, let's start with just accommodation. So it's the process by which people change the way they speak and the way they communicate in order to um express the fact that they are part of a community okay so for example um let's say for example when i lived in japan because i lived in japan for a couple of years and when i lived there uh my body language changed a little bit over time because i started to accommodate to uh the cultural context i started to accommodate to the japanese people that i was talking to um you know, every day. So I'd start to accommodate to that. Now, I, I, you know, I didn't really learn Japanese very well. Um, so it's hard for me to say that, you know, my Japanese accent became really, really um, uh, authentic or something. But a small example would be the way in which my body language changed. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, all right, the way my body language changed. So, for example, I'd find that when I was talking to people, I would assume more Japanese-style body language, which would mean sort of not making as much eye contact as I would do in Europe, for example. Uh, maybe sort of, um, uh, a, you know, nodding or bowing a lot more um, and using certain uh, hand gestures that they might use in Japan to mean sorry or whatever. You know, I'd accommodated, not even consciously just subconsciously my body language had changed a little bit because i accommodated to the context in japan all right so that's an example of non-verbal communication accommodation but also it works in the in, in our speech patterns as well for example when i lived in japan i used to work with a group of australian people there were other teachers in the school where i worked and they were australian so i spent a lot of time hanging around working and socializing with the with this group of australian guys and um, my speech patterns started to accommodate to Australian. So I didn't like, I didn't develop a full on Australian accent or anything. I didn't become Aussie. Uh, but just certain things like, I mean, the, the typical example in Australia is the rising intonation. You know, that's rising intonation when your, your voice sort of goes up at the end, 
like that at the end of sentences. Now, obviously, Australian people don't do that all the time, but they do it a little bit more than, you know, my friends back home in England, you know, to, like kind of going up at the end of a sentence. G'day, mate. How are you going? Um, oh, are you, are you teaching this class? Okay, for example. But anyway, rising intonation. So I came back from Japan after having spent time with Japanese and Australian people nodding and going up at the end of sentences, basically. That's just two examples of how my communication accommodated to the people I was with. Now, imagine that sort of thing. Imagine that process. But uh, taking place throughout someone's life, uh, taking place over generations as well, to the point at which whole communities of people are communicating and behaving in similar ways as a sort of an expression of the fact that they belong to that community. That gives you an idea of how uh, you know this process can lead to specific accents being formed in certain areas. For example, if you live in Liverpool, um, you know, you're going to converge with the other people in Liverpool as an expression of the fact that you belong to that community. And you're going to diverge probably from people in, in uh, Manchester, let's say. Uh, you know, Manchester, which is, you know, another big city, not far from Liverpool. But, you know, if you're in Liverpool, you'll be sort of proudly Liverpudlian. And, you know, you might support one of the Liverpool football teams and you will associate yourself with Liverpool, not with Manchester, and you probably won't like Manchester United. And, you know, there are many factors like that that cause you to behave and act in a way that uh, is the same as the the group of people that you associate with. Uh, And that includes speaking in, in the Liverpool accent that your parents have and that the other people in your town have. Um, Okay, so... Um, communication accommodation theory suggests the way we communicate is an expression of our desire or our natural tendency to become part of a social group. Okay, um, so um, Scott Thornbury. Uh, Scott Thornbury is um, uh, a, a f- well-known uh, English teacher uh, and writer. He's written lots of really good books about English teaching and he's kind of a bit of a legend in the world of English teaching. Scott Thornbury also wrote a blog article about this and I'm I'm kind of reading from this as well a little bit or quoting from it. Um, so this whole thing of communication accommodation theory, um, this could explain why there are so many different accents associated with different regions in the UK. For example, why people in Liverpool speak differently to people in Manchester or, or, or why the Cockney dialect or Cockney accent came about. Now, I'll speak more about that in a moment. It could also explain why we naturally change the way that we speak depending on, on the people around us. It could explain why speaking to a diverse range of people and socialising and actually speaking, communicating to a diverse range of people is very good for your accent. And it could explain why why native English speakers sometimes change the way that they speak when talking to foreigners. Okay, for example, uh, when travelling or meeting a foreign person, sometimes you find that native English speakers adapt their the way they speak without even realising they're doing it um, to to the people they're speaking to, and that might explain why, for example, you know that might explain that your English teacher might not be speaking completely naturally to to you um 
in a classroom situation. Sometimes, not all teachers, but sometimes. Um, the tendency is to unconsciously adapt your communication style to the people you're talking to. So now I'm going to try and deal with these things. I'm going to try and talk about them in a bit more depth, okay, but not necessarily in that order that I've just given you there. Let's talk about this thing about why native speakers sometimes adapt their language when talking to foreigners, okay? Now, according to Scott Thornbury, that uh, uh, published uh, author of English teaching uh, books, according to Scott Thornbury, there are two versions, two ways in which native speakers accommodate to non-native speakers when they're talking to them. Okay, there's two versions. Uh, He says there's caretaker talk and foreigner talk. So these two different things, caretaker talk and foreigner talk. Uh, And this is what he says. Um, He says, quote, "Um, this is especially obvious in the way that we talk to children and non-native speakers using forms of talk called caretaker talk and foreigner talk, respectively. Both varieties uh, are characterised by considerable simplification, although there are significant differences. Caretaker talk is often pitched higher and is and slower than talk used with adults. So caretaker talk is the way that adults might talk to children. Are you all right? Do you know which class you're going to? You know, oh, look at that. That's a nice, that's a nice t-shirt. What's that? You know, the way that adults talk to children sometimes. For some reason, when adults talk to children, the voice goes up. Like that, you know, like, uh, um, oh, that's a nice drawing. Aren't you clever? You know, you would if you spoke like that to an adult, they would think you were an idiot, right? You know, like if I spoke like that to one of my adult learners of English, oh, look at those sentences. Aren't you clever? They'd, they'd hate me, right? It would be awful. So anyway, caretaker talk is speaking to children and adapting your speech to children. And then... He says, uh, this is a simpler version of English, but it's it's always, nearly always, grammatically well-formed. But then there's foreigner talk, uh, and, and that actually tolerates greater use of non-grammatical pidgin-like forms. And that's the sort of English that English tourists use when they go to other countries. Like, uh, okay, me wait, you here, okay? You like, you know, you take you take me, my wife, to market, you know, that kind of thing. You like drink, No. That's foreigner talk. Now, I've actually seen this kind of thing happening a little bit to some English teachers. And this is one of the things that English teachers have to be careful of, that they don't adapt their speech too much, that they don't start using foreigner talk because then they are presenting, um, uh, you know, a grammatically unsound version of English. But I have seen and heard English teachers doing that sometimes. I remember, for example, when I worked in Japan, I overheard a few teachers who were, you know, not very experienced, not so qualified, because there were so many teachers out there who weren't really fully qualified, to be honest. And I remember hearing quite a lot of foreigner talk uh, there. I mean, it's easy for the learners to understand, but it's not necessarily the the, the most uh, accurate form of English. So I have seen this happening, uh, that they some teachers adapt their speech to the students, speaking this weird form of English that's easy for foreigners to understand, but might not be helping them to learn, depending on the level, I suppose. Anyway, it's difficult to judge it correctly as a teacher, because... Sometimes you do have to grade your English when you're talking to low-level learners of English. But how much do you grade your language and how do you do it is, is an important question. 
uh, for for English teachers. It's important to speak correctly to learners of English, meaning sort of using the the the, the sort of full natural English that you would normally use, and in this you know using it in the same way that most native speakers talk to each other. So it's important to do that, but also you've got to make sure that it's comprehensible, that it's easy for the learners to understand. And if you're too natural, your low-level students won't understand you and, you know, they won't really learn. Uh, whereas if you simplify your English too much, then you end up doing this kind of foreigner talk, which is not really a good model of the language. So I, I guess this is all part of being a good teacher, knowing how to strike the balance between being comprehensible and yet also being realistic and natural as well. Um Personally, I always try to keep those things in mind when I speak, and it's probably why my voice becomes more and more like standard received pronunciation, okay? Because um, I think generally what happens when I'm speaking on the podcast, when I'm speaking at work, is I do try to speak as naturally as possible, but probably I end up speaking kind of clearly, like I, I'm trying to pronounce words really, really clearly, Um and that's how I end up speaking this kind of BBC English sometimes. But I'm always consciously trying to keep it as natural as possible. Um, okay, but I'm, you know, I certainly, I'm not doing foreigner talk. Oh, God, oh, no, no. Now, um, okay, so do I, accom- do I accommodate my English when I talk to native speakers with different accents? What about that question? For example, if I'm speaking to people from you know, um, certain parts of the country, do I accommodate when I'm talking to them? Well, yes, I do probably a little bit. I mean, I do accommodate to different accents, but I think that that's only when those accents are sort of part of of my identity somehow. Um, For example, I've, you know, I've spent time growing up in London. I spent time growing up in the Midlands near Birmingham. And so, you know, those accents are sort of in me a little bit. So, excuse me. So when I'm when I'm talking to people from from those areas, then yeah, I probably do adapt my English a little bit and accommodate to those accents. They're not radical changes because I'm still being myself, but my speech does change a little bit depending on who I'm with. For example, when I'm back in Birmingham, my speech becomes a little bit more brummy. When I'm in London, it does the same. It becomes a bit more London-ish, uh, but only a little bit, of course. And this is completely normal. But when I'm speaking on the podcast, I do just try and make sure I'm speaking really naturally and clearly and and and, um, and normally, um, probably with more influence from from my London uh, uh, background than the Birmingham one, just because I spent more time living in London than, than in Birmingham. Um, and it's, I mean, in terms of uh, the podcast. It's very important for me to speak to other people on the podcast, like to have guests and speak to guests on this podcast as well, because it's in the interaction with other people that language really becomes most alive and natural. Uh, When I'm talking to you on my own, I speak in my neutral voice. But when I'm in conversation with others, you might hear my voice changing slightly just as I, co- as I accommodate to the people I'm talking to. You might not even notice, to be honest, because it's often a pretty mild change. Perhaps it doesn't happen that much because I'm still aware that I'm being listened to by my audience. But if you want to check it out, if you want to try and decide for yourself whether I adapt my speech when I'm speaking to guests versus when I speak to, uh, to my audience on my own like this, then you could check out some of the episodes in the archive. For example, you could check out the ones where I spoke to Rob Ager from Liverpool. Uh, last year. I talked to him about movies last year 
Uh, and actually, in my opinion, my accent didn't really change that much. But maybe if I'd spent the weekend in Liverpool just hanging out and talking, my accent might have changed a little bit more. Uh, and I, I'm now going to avoid mentioning the same thing about um, when I worked with Australian people. Uh, I did pick up some of the accent from them because I spent a lot more time with them uh, than just like an hour on a podcast. Certainly when I'm back in Birmingham, my accent changes a bit because that's where I, I spent a lot of time um, when I was younger. For example, I don't know. All right, mate, how's it going? All right. Yeah. Do you want a drink? Do you want a drink? Um, yeah. Do you, want a, do you want a pint? Come on, let's go to the pub. You know, you might not have noticed that, but okay, here's here's me doing it in London. All right, mate. Yeah. Do you want a, do you want a pint? Come on, let's go down the pub. That's London. And then when I'm in Birmingham, it might be like, all right, mate, how's it going? You're right. Do you want to, do you want to go for a drink? Come on, let's go down the pub. Okay. Slight difference. Um, another question from the website recently was from a listener called Cat. So that's not an, again, that's not an actual cat. I don't have any cats listening to the... Well, I probably have some cats listening to the podcast, but I don't think they are commenting on the website. I don't know if cats can do that. Uh, Anyway, I'm pretty sure they can't. (laughs) Ridiculous. Anyway, cats question. This is... uh, Cat is one of the listeners who often leaves comments on the the website. Hello, cat. Um, Cat's question is, what are Paul and Amber's accents? Paul and Amber are uh, friends of mine who are on this podcast quite a lot. Actually, I think we've answered this question in a recent episode. Basically, Amber and I, I think it's like this, right? Amber and, and, and I are pretty similar. The way that we speak is basically received pronunciation. Uh, Paul also speaks received pronunciation, but with a bit more of a local influence, I think. He's from Kent, um, which is a county near London. So he speaks with some traces of a Kentish accent. For example, glottal stops pronouncing t sounds so i'd say native speaker paul might say native speaker i say excited paul might say excited okay also some of the th sounds when paul speaks sometimes they sound a bit like d or v sounds like on the podcast v not the there's slight differences for example amber and paul are on the podcast and amber and paul are on the podcast d and the so I've heard Paul saying on the podcast a little bit more than I do. But really, we're splitting hairs here a little bit. Um, okay. All right. Basically, there's that. All right, then. So what a, what about accommodation theory and um, an example? Okay. And Nick's, Nick's original question about the diversity of accents in the UK. Well, I'm going to talk about that more specifically in a moment talking about this maybe the uh, uh, some um, answers as to why we have so many different accents accommodation theory might help to explain it but I'll go into more detail about that first but first of uh, in a minute but first of all let's check out a funny example of a professional footballer from Liverpool who who moved to France okay uh, to play for Olympique de Marseille football club uh, and he did an interview on television in France, speaking to French journalists. And the video uh, went a little bit viral because it was quite funny to see how this Liverpool, this guy from Liverpool, was speaking to a room full of French journalists, and he sort of 
accommodated his voice so that they could understand him. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, this is Joey Barton. Joey Barton is basically a professional footballer. Um, As I say. Okay, okay. Joey Barton uh, talking to f- the French press after his first game for Marseille. And let's see if you can notice the way that Joey Barton is adapting his English subconsciously to uh, t- to help the French people in the room understand him. As I say, yesterday I make one tackle and... And it's not just his accent, it's also grammar. He's accommodating his grammar, so... He's kind of doing foreigner talk, like um, like we heard about earlier on in this episode. As I say, yesterday I make one tackle and all everybody speak about is this tackle. Nobody speaks about uh, the 50-yard pass that kills Balmon and, and it causes a red card for him. Um, and nobody sh- talks about the shot that um, Landru would have uh, been happy to, to see. You know, he didn't see the ball, never mind uh, have a chance to save it. So for me, it's important that people speak about uh, the qualities I bring as a footballer and uh, I'm a little bit bored, you know, from the English media and hopefully the French media is, have more about, has more about it than the, the English media and, and concentrate on uh, uh, li- stupid little uh, incidents like this. Maybe. Can, you, can you notice that? Can you hear the way he's sort of sounding a little bit French? Let's, let's check out some of the examples of, of, of that happening. Say yesterday I make one tackle... There you go. Yesterday I make one tackle. Should be yesterday I made one tackle. And, or, or now this is not because Joey Barton is stupid or he's got bad English. He's not stupid at all. He might be a professional footballer and we sometimes sort of uh, make jokes about footballers not being very intelligent. But Joey Barton is a really clever guy. He's got like a, a slightly difficult past. I think he, he grew up in a really rough part of Liverpool. And for example, you know, I think his cousin was sent to prison for murder and uh, Joey Barton himself said that if he hadn't gone into football he might have ended up you know in a similar situation in fact he did spend some time in prison and he said that it really kind of made him think and um, basically he's used football in order to get himself out of uh, of that uh, that kind of life and um, I've seen Joey Barton appearing on television and speaking very eloquently and articulately and he's obviously a very intelligent person so it's not a question of his intelligence it's it really is though a question of him accommodating his english to the people he's talking to and all everybody speak about is this tackle nobody all everybody speak about right the only thing you know all that people are speaking about and he's uh, simplified it to all everybody speak about all everybody speak about is this tackle nobody speaks about uh the 50 yard pass that Kills Balmon and, and it causes a red card for him. Uh, it causes a red card for him as well. It's almost like the accent's sounding a bit French. Um, and nobody sh- talks about the shot that um, Landru would have uh, been happy to, to see. You know, he didn't see the ball. Never. He, he didn't see the ball. He's not saying he, he's saying he, he didn't see the ball, which is something you kind of associate with a French accent. A little bit uh, boring, you know, they... I can understand, you know, I watch uh, Lille yesterday, they have 10 one nil. Uh, you know, they, they have 10 men and... They have 10 men? Okay. Not have, but have, he said. For me, you might as well lose 5 nil as one nil. you know, it's still no points. He's Argentine and I'm English, it's big difference. He's Argentine, I'm English, it's is big difference. He's Argentinian, I'm English, it's a big difference. Big, big difference. <laughs> 
Okay, I mean, that's just an example of Joey Barton. I, I tell you what, we can see him talking about that now. Well, you mentioned le classique there. <laughs> Has your French got any better? Okay, has your French got any better? This is Joey Barton on a talk show. Yeah, a little bit. Obviously, we don't. Really, you're going to pull this into. <laughs> I'm going to pull it. We're going to have a look at it. <laughs> so that all the other presenters on the show are making fun of him um, and sort of like teasing him for his dodgy accent. <laughs> I'm surprised that people in France uh, speak about this. It's 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 normal in England, and um, maybe it, it takes me one or two games to adapt. But for me, it's it. It's not a problem. The one- See the way he goes, which is really French kind of body language. He's kind of like shrugging and and going as well. And these these are sort of um, uh, sort of bits of body language that are, we really associate with uh, with France. So he's even acting like a French person. One criticism of the French league is it's it's a little bit uh, boring. You know they. Yeah, and I can understand. This is kind of like French. Stand, you know, I watched uh, Lille yesterday. They have ten men, and they're happy to lose one nil. Uh, you know, they they have ten men, and for me, you might as well lose five nil as one nil. Perfect French, though. To be fair. French is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Perfect for the, for the oldies like me, you could get you a job on a hello hello. <laughs> uh, for the oldies like me, you could get you a job on hello hello. <laughs> Uh, hello, hello is a TV show. Well, you're very close to me there, aren't you? You can see me right up in my face. Uh, hello, I was talking to the camera there, audio people. Um, hello, hello was a TV show which um, um, was made in the UK, but it was sort of set in Belgium, and all the characters spoke with these terrible French accents. So he's making you fun of him there. Leo <laughs> Giordio. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, but, uh, when when that happened. Oh, no, clearly what you're trying to do is you're trying to speak in a pattern that the, the European, the French journalists will understand. I get that. But were your mates onto you straight away? Saying, well, <laughs> well I, I always remember I'm doing a conference, so it's full of French journalists. No, no foreign journalists really in the room. And obviously I'm sitting up the top. And I had my brother and, and a really good pal of mine, Tags, who was sitting in the, in the back. I had my brother and a really good pal of mine. I had my brother and a really good friend of mine sitting in the back. I had my brother and a really good pal of mine sitting in the back. I had my brother and a really good pal of mine. I had my brother and a really good friend of mine. Sitting up the top. And I had my brother and, and a really good pal of mine, Tags, who was sitting in the, in the back. And a really good pal of mine, Tags. Tags is the name of his friend. I had my brother and a really good pal of mine, Tags, who was sitting in the back. Bach? Did he, does he actually say Bach? Let's have a listen. I'm sitting up the top. And I had my brother and, and a really good pal of mine, Tags, who was sitting in the, in the back. In a, the back? A little bit. I'm talking away, and I'd said before I went there because I remember Steve McLaren's famous one. I used to rib Steve about it, and he didn't like it. Uh, he's talking now about Steve McLaren, who is an English uh, football coach who went to the Netherlands. And there's video footage, very similar video footage of Steve McLaren speaking with a Dutch accent, which is really, really weird. But you know, it's happened before. Obviously, footballers, I guess, being members of teams, they have to try and work together to. To, to establish themselves as being part of the team and that might involve a lot of you know accommodation of communication uh, so Steve McLaren did it too as well as Joey Barton and Joey Barton saying I used to rib Steve about it all the time to rib someone rib like you know rib um, like one of the bones that you have in your chest you know your ribs um, whoops uh, so your ribs are like bones that uh, cover your the top part of your body 
Huh? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, above, you know, you've got your, your heart, then you have your lungs, and then the bones that surround your chest are your ribs. Okay, so I used to rib Steve. It basically means I used to, I used to tease him, like make fun of him. I used to rib Steve about it all the time. Steve McLaren's famous one. I used to rib Steve about it and he didn't like it. So I was talking about not doing that when I went out there and was really in my mind not to do it. So anyway. So it was really, it was really in my mind not to do it, meaning I was really um, focusing on not adapting my speech like that. So he didn't do it on purpose. I'm doing this conference and I can just see two heads in the background <laughs> after about five minutes just going up and down like this. I could see two heads in the background. I could see two heads in the background, meaning you could see his friend and his brother just laughing about it. I could see two heads in the background doing this. I could see two heads in the background. About five minutes just going up and down like this. And it just dawned on me that obviously my worst nightmare is coming true. And I'm, I'm... It just dawned on me that my worst nightmare had come true. It dawned on me. That's when you realise something. Oh, it just dawned on me that my worst nightmares had come true. It dawned on me. Something dawns on you. Like dawn, you know, when the sun comes up. Dawn. Uh, it dawns on you that something happened. So you realise it. Yeah. My worst nightmares come true when I'm, I'm obviously doing this ridiculous French accent. So then I start like playing on it to try and get... I mean, both of them were in floods of tears and end up having to walk out the conference and gone. So both of them were in floods of tears and they had to walk out of the conference. Okay, all right. So that's just an example. You know, I just wanted to sort of play you that example of Joey Barton. Joey Barton, who normally speaks like this, was uh, suddenly uh, speaking like a French person. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have uh, the chance that you have, you know, there you go. I think you get the, um, I think you get the point there in, from that example. So let, let me just make a few comments about Joey Barton and his, his, his weird French accent there. So Joey Barton was heavily criticised for this. Lots of people made fun of him. A lot of people mocked him and called him stupid for doing it. But he's definitely not stupid. Um, maybe he wasn't aware of the different ways that he could have changed his voice. All he was trying to do was communicate with the French journalists and this accommodation thing happened as a result. But, I mean, there, there are other ways that he could have um, adapted his voice to talk to the, 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 Fre the French uh, journalists uh, that didn't involve going into this form of foreigner talk or accommodating to a sort of French-English accent. For example, speaking with received pronunciation like mine, uh, just, you know, it's probably not the sort of thing that would occur to, to Joey Barton. This lad is a scouser from Liverpool, and he's not going to start speaking in the same way that I speak. Instead, it's much more likely that he's going to accommodate to French instead. You know, because he, either he's going to speak in his his own natural Liverpool accent, or he's going to accommodate to the, the, the English of the French people. He's not going to suddenly adapt and speak in received pronunciation. This This accent that he associates with London, that he associates with a different class of people. Um... um the reason he's doing it, as explained by accommodation theory, is to make it easier for the French journalists to understand him. His Scouse accent, his Liverpool accent, is probably difficult for the French to understand because they're probably not that familiar with it. Um, um, and he was just trying to be intelligible. Um, and also, he probably did it to win social approval. I imagine being the only English guy in this room full of French journalists... Um, with the pressure of playing for this big French club and not speaking French, he probably wanted their approval. And this 
this sort of thing probably happens in football all the time because of the emphasis on teamwork. So I expect that during training and while talking to the other French players, Joey Barton probably had to very quickly adapt his speech to be uh, to be part of the team. And I imagine speaking Scouse English, Liverpool English, more clearly probably wouldn't help the French. You know, for example, if he's trying to say to a French teammate, "Ear mate, over here on me heads, over here on me heads," which is like over here on my head, they'd probably be like, "Qu'est-ce qu'il dit?" You know, um, uh, over here on me heads, and then he would like, you know, he'd probably find some other way of adapting to to say it. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what about the significance for learning English? Well, for for learning English, this suggests this whole idea of accommodation uh, theory suggests that some of the most important ways to improve your English pronunciation and your English in general are to a actually communicate with people in real conversations about real things. Okay, b have the desire to understand others and to be understood by others. And C, have the desire to share information with the people that you're communicating with. And then D, have the desire to be socially accepted by the people you're talking to. So if you're actually communicating with people who you want to communicate with because you're sharing ideas and you like those people and you want to be sort of considered to be within that same social group, uh, those are the factors that are probably going to allow this natural process of accommodation to occur in the way that's going to help your English, okay? So spend time talking naturally with English speakers. It doesn't have to be native English speakers, just even just English speakers who, who speak well, um, you know, English speakers who speak clearly because you will naturally start to accommodate to the way that they're using English too. So spend time talking naturally with English speakers because you want to do it, or at least practice communicating in, in English, not just because you think it's important for your career or for your English, but because you're genuinely interested in sharing ideas, finding out about people and the world, and broadening the scope of your identity. The more motivated you are by these things, um, the more curious you are, the more interested you are in actually sharing information with people and using your your voice and you know listening and speaking uh, the more you are opening yourself up to the natural neurological conditions for language learning okay it's got it so talking to different people with good english who come from diverse origins talking about things you're interested in all of that really helps your english in a sort of subliminal way and it also helps your accent in particular um Okay, so other work, obviously other work helps as well, like studying the phonemic chart, you know, understanding, uh, you know, all the different sounds in English. So doing some studying of the phonemic chart, analysing the physical ways that we produce different sounds, how speech is, is connected, you know, how words are connected in natural speech, all that stuff. So it's it's worthwhile studying all that stuff to and doing plenty of mechanical physical practice like drilling different sounds and working on uh, your pronunciation in a mechanical way that's important uh, as well but certainly this theory suggests that our brains are wired to adapt our speech patterns in the right conditions as part of a social process so actually communicating with people is really important uh, for your english all right um 
And also, it might it may be vital for you to learn how to accommodate yourself to the English of the people you're talking to as well. Okay, uh, so how to accommodate yourself. And this is another quote from Scott Thornbury from that blog article that he wrote on the subject. You can find a link to that article on the page for this episode. Um, so um, Scott Thornbury said, so what are the implications for language teaching in the interests of both intelligibility and establishing comity, meaning sort of um, community or establishing sort of trust or a relationship, Joey Barton's, the footballer's, adaptive accent strategy may be the way to go. For learners of English whose interlocutors, the people you're talking to, may not themselves be native speakers, this may mean learning to adapt to other non-native speaker accents. Hmm. So think about the future when you're going to be using English, maybe even the present, when you're using English to actually do business with uh, people from other countries. It might be a good skill for you to develop how to adapt your English to them so that they understand you. Because uh, ultimately, English is a communication tool, so you should use it to communicate. So um, uh, Thornbury go on to, goes on to say, as Jenkins... That's another academic argues in international communication, the ability to accommodate to interlocutors with other first languages than one's own is far is a far more important skill than the ability to imitate the English of a native speaker. Hmm. So if you take Joey Barton as an example, what he did, and it was apparently quite effective in France, was instead of changing his accent to receive pronunciation. He just directly accommodated his English to the French. And that this is uh, actually a very direct way of, of getting yourself understood. Now, it might go against what you think. You think, well, in order to communicate effectively with other non-native speakers, I should adapt. I should be, speak as accurately as possible. But sometimes it's a question of try, of understanding how you can grade your English depending on the people you're talking to. Okay, so when you're chatting to other non-native speakers, how should you make yourself more intelligible in order to establish good relations? Do you suddenly start sounding like me or do you accommodate to their way of speaking following the rule of accommodation theory? Now, that's just an idea. I don't know what you think of that. Uh, I'd like you to let me know. Feel free to either agree with accommodation theory here or disagree with it, but do give a good reason why. Like, I would understand if, for example, you said to me, okay, accommodation accent theory does seem to make sense. It it, it makes a lot of sense that we adapt the way we talk to, you know, um, to establish good relations with the people we're talking to. But I don't think I should adapt my English. I don't think I should sort of grade my English down when I'm talking to other non-natives. I would rather try and speak speak closer to the way that you speak, Luke, for example, which, you know, you might consider to be a sort of a model of, of English. Let me know what you think. Uh, I still haven't really got to the, I haven't really um, expanded on this question of why there are so many accents in the UK. Um, and I'm going to do that now. Are you all right, ladies and gentlemen? Are you okay? Are you still awake? Are you still there? Yes. I understand this is quite a dense one with lots of... Uh, um, fairly abstract stuff about accents. But anyway, uh, let's now talk about why there are so many accents in the UK. Now, this is a really complex question, uh, which probably needs to be answered by someone who's done a PhD on the subject, some kind of professor of, of um, you know, of linguistics. 
that's that's probably the right person to to talk to about this. But here's my answer, and I have spent quite a lot of time thinking about it and reading about it. So here's my answer: why we have so many different accents all over the UK. Um, it's probably a big mix of geography, culture, politics, history, and human human nature. Okay, tribalism. It could be something to do with tribalism. It could be because we're a small nation with quite a high population as well. Tribalism, let's start with that. Um, I mean, uh, the, the, the tribal nature of the UK is reflected not only in the fact that we have many accents, but also in the fact that we have many football teams as well. Uh, it's a small, fairly small country, but we have a lot of professional football teams. Those professional football teams have come out of communities uh, with distinct identities, uh, and you can see that there's a lot of loyalty to those teams. That's a reflection of the level of sort of, let's call it tribalism. Tribalism is a natural thing that occurs in people. People naturally like to belong to communities. And those communities sometimes mark themselves out as different from other competing communities. This is basically tribalism. And it's probably a natural part of human nature that we are sort of... Um, naturally wired for tribalism which might explain why you know people are so passionate about being uh, fans of their local football team or people are passionate about being uh you know like death metal fans that they belong to that tribe that is some reason many of us need um to belong to a tribe to have an identity and it gives us security and so on so this tribalism goes along with communication accommodation theory that as an expression of your identity in in the tribe you're going to accommodate to the way that people communicate within that tribe so for example that might be why liverpool people in liverpool speak with a different accent to people in manchester you know just the tribe uh, an expression of your local identity uh, perhaps it's because we're a small nation with quite a high population and we're an island in the UK. So imagine this geographical um, barrier, this geographical border forces everyone to live in quite close quarters with each other. And as a result, we sort of want to express um, more of our local identity. Um, um, all right, you know, the fact that we're an island or a group of islands creates a clear land border and that means that we're a bit more penned in we're a bit more contained than other cultures and as a result people you know create little small communities within this this limited geographical zone huh <laughs> do you understand that um the class system as well the class system is part of it received pronunciation was the standardized version of english associated with educated the educated class or the sort of upper class less so these days as the class system has broken down a bit so that was rp the kind of the way that i speak or the bbc version of english that was the standardized version but ordinary folk like ordinary people working class people spoke in their own way and they weren't expected to speak received pronunciation because they knew their place they knew that they were part of the the sort of labor class and they could never break away from that because that's that was the class system. It was like everyone knows their place and you don't break away from your position in society. So if, you, if you're from a working class community, you know, you're not expected to speak with received pronunciation, this standardized version of English. So as a result, 
there's a lot more of a tendency for these local working class communities to develop their own unique uh, versions of English. Okay, so it's kind of a, a a result of this class system where people in this section of society are expected to use the standardized form no matter where they come from. But all the working class people, they've got their own strong local accents um, and that's an expression of their position in, in the class system. Um, okay, so we, you know, we never had a... a we never really had a, a full revolution proclaiming everybody as equal, unlike in France, for example, you know, the French Revolution, which suddenly sort of uh, put everyone on the same level. Um, and, you know, so because of that, you know, working people didn't take on the standard form of English and that sort of allowed working class accents to to develop, you know, more strongly. Um, also, in English, there is an irregular relationship between the written word, the way that words are spelled, and the spoken word, uh, the spoken version. So there's a, an irregular relationship between the written word and the way those words are pronounced. You know that very well as learners of English because you understand that often the, uh, the, the pronunciation of our words is not logical and it doesn't really follow the rules of spelling. Like sometimes words spelt like this can be pronounced in this way or they can be pronounced in another way. All right, so um, that we have an irregular relationship between the written word and the spoken uh, uh, word. That our language, our spelling is not phonetic. Okay, um, which could mean that the spoken version of English is a lot more open to interpretation than in other languages. So in many other languages, like, um, well, I can't think of a good example. I mean, for example, Japanese is a phonetic language. So maybe, you know, the uh, pronunciation is sort of uh, written into the, 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 the written language because it's phonetic. Whereas in English... There's much more of a loose relationship between the way the words are written and the way that they are pronounced. And this allows, you know, more interpretation in, you know, different communities. Um, okay, so that the, the pronunciation is not tied down by the written word. There is no solid rule book on how to pronounce English. There's the phonetic chart, of course, but that is based on received pronunciation. And that's where the class system comes into it, because received pronunciation is associated with a certain class of people. And that's when identity politics comes into it. And if you're from a working class community, you might not feel that received pronunciation is your form of English. And therefore, you might sort of diverge from that and converge with the people in your area instead. Mm -hmm. Maybe also, here's another idea. Maybe it's because of the multicultural nature of the British people. We are a mongrel nation, which means that we have, we're a very diverse nation in terms of our ethnicity in the UK. And I'm talking about, you know, the history from the last 2000 years or more. It's clear that uh, the English people uh, are a, a mix, a melting pot of many different um, cultures and ethnicities. We're a mongrel nation. A mongrel is a dog that is like a crossbreed between several breeds of, of dog. That's a mongrel, right? So we are, England, the UK, is a mongrel nation. And maybe the diversity of accents is a result of this patchwork or melting pot of different people and languages. For example, over the years, we've had Celtic, Nordic, Germanic, Nor Norman French, 
Gallic, French, Latin, Irish, Celtic, Scots, Celtic, Commonwealth nations as well, more recently, like Jamaica and India and Pakistan, especially Jamaica, which has had a massive influence on the way that young people in London speak and now also media like American and Australian English that we hear on a daily basis on television. So all of these diverse influences over many, many years could account for a sort of um, dynamic, um, adaptive and varied form of English that's normal, completely normalised. Um, our islands have been visited, invaded, populated and influenced by migrating people and their voices for many, many, many years. And this goes deep into the past and continues to this day, even though the official version of history will suggest that we have an unbroken family line, an, un an unbroken royal family line. This is the history that we all learn at school that, you know, we learn about the kings and queens of, of England or the kings and queens of Britain. And it suggests that there is one unbroken sort of ethnic family line that runs through the country. In fact, you know, it's a lot more diverse uh, than, than that might suggest. Um, um, uh, this could result in a wide variety of influences creating diversity, which is not obvious just by looking at people. It's also interesting to me that the narrative of the unbroken line of history, which we get from the monarchy, is also aligned with a certain way of speaking, the old-fashioned received pronunciation, which is the standard form. Underneath that standard form, or next to it, there is a lot more variety and diversity, and that could just account for the sort of, you know, the diversity of, of different influences over, over time. Um, here's another theory, um, and... Uh, I'm calling this one the Game of Thrones theory. Uh, so there was a long period in British history before the emergence of a single unifying monarchy, before the emergence of a single royal family or king. Um, there was a long period in which the country was essentially split into different independent areas ruled by competing monarchs. And this was where tribalism was really important. And you can think of Game of Thrones here where the country is divided into these competing kingdoms, let's say. And that's where you get community, loyalty, rejection of others, survival by uniting with your community. These were vitally important principles. And this would have been the breeding ground for different local versions of a language. And it it must be the same in many other countries too, I'm sure. And it probably accounts for why, for example, there are many dialects in different you know, parts of Africa, like, for example, in Cameroon, you have all these different dialects, you know, it could be an, an example of that, the importance of tribalism in those in those uh, cultures. And also it could explain why we have so many different accents in the UK. It might just be a result of the tribal nature of our, of our you know, our ancient history. Um, and this relates to aspects of the accommodation communication theory. Convergence is when people pull together in a community and naturally speak in the same way to express this shared identity. And at the same time, there's divergence, pulling away from other communities that could be your rivals. So if you're part of one community, you will speak like them uh, and you won't speak like the others. So this moving in and a moving away um, kind of, you know, can account for um, these radical differences, even in, in fairly like uh, close, uh, fairly nearby communities, you know, um, 
you know, for example, why in Liverpool and in Manchester, even though they're 30 minutes away by car, people speak differently. Um, okay. You know, and you can just look at the football fans to see how much of a rivalry there is between the two cities. Um, overall, I, I expect a number of other factors have come together to cause the UK to have this wide diversity. But perhaps we're just a lot more aware as well. We're a lot more aware of the diversity because the place is so connected. It's a pretty small island. We're all squeezed in together with a natural land border of the sea. And the Industrial Revolution happened um, in the UK, bringing bringing the train, which was this mass transport system, which suddenly brought everyone so much closer together. Like these separate communities that developed over long periods of time were suddenly brought so close together by the train. Like, you know, I always say Liverpool and Manchester are only 30 minutes away by car. But, you know, before the invention of the car or the train, that was, you know, a significant distance, enough for there to be two definite communities that would have, you know... Uh, spoken in a different way and it's only until it's only since the development of the railway and the cars that these communities have now in our minds been associated to, as as being much closer together huh you see what i mean um yeah so um i imagine this has made us a lot more aware of our different versions of english i imagine if you examined other countries you would find similar differences in accent the USA, for example, has definite differences, and it's quite a young country in comparison to the UK. So I expect many countries have similar diversity in accent and dialect. Um, perhaps we're just a lot more aware of it in the UK for various reasons. Um, and I've talked about the class system. Um, maybe I can talk about the royal family, um, you know, the way that... Um, uh, the royal family has its own geography, which moves between international borders... Um, anyway, there's lots of, there's lots of, uh, possible theories as to why we have so many different accents. Um, but it's, you know, it's certainly a good subject for a PhD. And, uh, so a great question, Nick. Thank you very much for asking that. Um, now when we're not finished with accents by any, by any stretch of the imagination, I, I, I've just talked a lot about how communication accommodation theory might explain why we have so many accents in the UK and also what the theory can tell us about things like my accent, the accents of my friends, and also how you can work on your accent too, and also the accent that your English teacher might use when they talk to you. I still plan to spend uh, more time focusing on specific accents and also just playing around with accents in English too. Um, we're pretty much at the end of the episode here. I would just like to ask you all a few questions here. So here's here are some questions for you to answer. Uh, how many accents, how many different distinct accents can you identify in your country? Uh, are accents in your country related to geography? Do you have regional variations of accents? Is there a standard accent in your country? Like the way we have received pronunciation, RP, in the UK. Is there a standard accent in your country that's the same all over the, the country? And is that, a, is that accent associated with a particular region or a particular level of education or, or a particular social background? What attitudes do people have about accents where you come from? For example, do they look down their nose? Do they look down on people who speak with a certain accent? Do they uh, love... Uh, do they find certain accents particularly charming? Um, do you find a wide variety of different regional accents on television and on the radio? 
what are the attitudes that people have about accents where you come from? In English, which accent do you prefer? Are you aware of the different regional accents? Which one do you like? Which one just appeals to you? Uh, if you don't know a region, you know, maybe you can just think of an individual person whose accent you like. So is there one particular individual who you think has a really nice accent? Feel free to say Amber Minogue at this point, of course. And final question is this. If you've been, imagine this, right? If you've been shipwrecked and you get washed up on a remote island, so you, you'd have, you know, you're on a ship and the ship's sunk and you swim to shore and you arrive on a remote island populated by a local tribe of native people who seem to use English as their main language, although it's a sort of a, a certain dialect of English. So they, it, looks like, it looks like they use a basic form of English, but it looks like they also might be hostile or hungry or both. What's the best way to get into their good books? How are you going to speak to these natives who have found you washed up on the beach? You're not sure if they're hostile or what's going to happen. Um, how do you talk to them? How do you address them? Do you speak to them like me or do you speak to them like them? Or do you get back in the sea and swim for your life? Um, all questions that you can respond to in the comments section here on the website or um, on YouTube or wherever you, you happen to be uh, listening to this. Okay, Woo. that was quite a long and quite heavy um, episode all about different accents and stuff. I hope, you're, uh, I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you found it to be interesting. Um, I do look forward to reading your comments. Uh, I think I'm now going to bring this episode to a close right here and now. Thank you very much for spending the last hour and 15 minutes with me. And I will speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. In just a second, I'm going to get the jingle ready. Okay, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.